To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. My brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, at this moment in your life, in the culture of the world in which you live, how free do you understand yourself to be? Can you truly do whatever you wish? Do you feel you are able to believe and confess whatever you wish to think and understand about your world, your God, and speak it freely? Are you able to go wherever you wish to go? Is the pursuit of your happiness truly a day-to-day element on your agenda. When I hear the Israelites respond to Jesus, these believers who are also Jewish in this moment when Jesus is speaking react to him the way that they do, I hear echoes of our American culture. Hear people like you and me say, I've never been a slave to anyone. I am free freer than anybody else that's ever lived on the face of this earth. And you and I might actually even snicker when we hear what the Israelites say, the Jewish believers say in response to Jesus. Because if they've never been slaves of anyone, then what were the calling of Moses and the Ten Commandments, or rather the Ten Plagues, all about? Did all of that need to really happen in order for them to be freed from Pharaoh's grip? as a slave master over them, or a millennia later. So all of those disenfranchised Israelites after the destruction of Jerusalem and their temple just voluntarily walked their way to Babylon, eager to be in a place for generations that they always clearly said they despised. And all that business after Babylon fell with Silas, Cyrus the Great, the Persian, coming to power and not only emancipating the nation of Israel, but bankrolling the, the rebuilding of their temple and their city, all of that was just political gamesmanship. And it's even laughable as you think about the people who were sitting at Jesus' feet that day for that teaching session people who on a daily basis bristled against Caesar's and Herod's forces and their foreign thuggery and the way they dominated the culture and how the leaders of the people feared that even Jesus would be an element of what might upset the balance of power so they might be victims again of another foreign government. The way they understood themselves in that moment, in their reaction to Jesus, 
is almost as silly as some of the lies we clearly hear from the different ends of the political experience in this day and age. The truth is that you and I live in a country that offers a freedom, a personal freedom, that is more profound and more complete than any other government in the history of the world. Our founding fathers and our governance documents state the freedoms that we have, and there are so many of them that the laws that have been built upon those documents have continued to extend to us rights, privileges, responsibilities of freedom. But there is one freedom that they do not mention, that they cannot offer us, and yet is a freedom that every human heart, every human mind and soul pursues with intensity on a daily basis. It's not the freedom of conscience that is actually referred to and formalized in the Constitution and in the laws that have followed, but it is freedom from conscience. Good luck lobbying anyone else or even conjuring up from within yourself the guarantee that you have the ability to live from this day forward, freed from the guilt, freed from the consequence of the sins that you've committed in your thoughts, your words, your actions, the, the rightful guilt that you experience, knowing what you've done, who you've been, what you've said. There isn't any other source to give you that kind of freedom than the one who stands before you, who declares himself the truth and makes you a promise that if you build your thinking and your life completely around all of his truth, then you will know freedom. That truth will set you free, and yes, indeed, he is including in that promise the freedom of conscience, the freedom from guilt, and the consequences of the guilt that our sins bring upon us. Guilt played an unmistakable role in the foundation of Martin Luther's early life and certainly his church experience. The church of the centuries had all but discarded God's word for its formation of ideas and understanding, and it had come up with all kinds of human-built ideas around the, 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 the lessening of guilt or the offloading of guilt through mechanisms of confession or even consumerism. Could buy your forgiveness. It could be printed on a piece of paper. And the bigger you paid, the bigger the sin you could get released from. Not just its consequence, but its long-lasting guilt as well. This picture over my shoulder offers us an artist's rendering of a very important day in the progression of Luther's growing into a leader of the Holy Christian Church that everyone would recognize for all of the following generations of humanity, God allowed to see and understand the Scriptures in a way that had long been hidden 
from the people who have lived in the generations before him and certainly on the face of the earth at the moment that occurred. It happened at a place called Worms. It looks like worms. You've got to give it that German pronunciation so people don't giggle when you say the word. But there, sitting in front of the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles himself, on the throne, with papal scholars present, with nobility from all over Central Europe present, Luther took this verse of Jesus, pretty much, and turned it on its head, turned it around in their direction, and pretty much told them, look, I know you're accusing me of teaching all kinds of things that are false, that don't agree with the teachings of the church to this day, but unless you can show me from all of God's word, from everything that Jesus has told us, what I am teaching that is wrong, I can't take a single word of it back. Because if I did, if I wasn't teaching the whole word of God, everything that Jesus has taught us, if I was not holding to his teaching, I would not really be his disciple. I would not be a believer. I can't do anything else. It's important, though, that we also take a moment to step back and look back again at the gospel lesson in those early verses and realize who Jesus was speaking to when he first spoke these verses. It was to the Jews who had believed in him. This wasn't a moment of conflict or confrontation. This was a moment of gentle and powerful, profound instruction for those who had already come to know and believe in Jesus and trust him for their salvation. And he wanted them to understand You can't make choices about what my word speaks to you. You can't decide for yourself what you will believe and what you will discard, what you will hold dear and what you will give lower priority to and not invest in as much. Jesus tells them, if you really believe in me, you've got to hold to everything that I have said or you are not really my disciples. When you and I turn back the pages of the scriptures to the the first chapter of John, we find him speaking of Jesus as the Word made flesh. God's presence among us, as God had been present amongst his believing people for all of the centuries of humanity. From the very first promise that he had Moses record regarding his conversation with Adam and Eve in the garden, to this moment that he was standing there with these believing Jews, everything God had chosen to put down on paper for you and I and every other generation of humanity to see and hear, all of it is intended for God's purposes in our lives, for our blessing, for our eternal blessing. And he makes it clear. Every word of that, every concept, every accusation of God's law, every statement of God's forgiveness, every word of clarity that guides our thinking and our living, our prioritizing, our spending and our speaking, all of it. If you and I do not listen to all of it, let it have its way with our hearts and our minds and our lives and hold to it, 
we really have no right to call ourselves Christians. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Eternal truth and eternal freedom are at the very core of the festival of the Reformation. That becomes abundantly evident, crystal clear, as you hear the lessons chosen for the day, as you sing the words of Psalm 46 and the other hymns of the day, as we express ourselves in prayer of the church following our confession of our faith in Jesus as our Savior in the Creed, there can be no doubt of the central role that the Scriptures play, of what God has chosen to communicate to us as human beings, and our temperament towards that Word, our valuing of it, not only for our salvation, but for the guidance for our lives and the defining of morality, of right and wrong, of what God desires in His will for human life day after day. And that is exactly where we reconnect ourselves again to the concept of guilt. You and I struggle so daily with our sins, and, and the devil is often going to use our own sins as temptation to try to drive a wedge between us and God to get us to believe that somehow we have committed a sin so grievous that God won't forgive it, that we can't keep going back to that well of righteousness that Jesus has won for us through that perfect living and innocent dying that pays for every last one of our sins and makes us guiltless before God and welcome in His presence for all eternity. But that is not what Jesus says. If you hold to all of Jesus' truth, you know that he tells you that there is never a line that he will ever draw in regard to your life, your personality, your behaviors, your relationships, where there comes that moment when you have gone beyond and you've worked your way past the point of forgiveness. No. He tells you that over and over and over again, day after day after day after day, his forgiveness, his love, his promises are for you. He will continue to forgive you and recreate you after every sin to be the new person that he's made you through his suffering and his dying and his rising. And that is so hard to believe that the Pharisees of Jesus' day and so many of the theologians of even the Christian church today just discount it and throw it away and don't hold to the whole truth of what the Scriptures clearly say, especially in regard to this. The Word. The Word. The Word is what the Reformation was all about. Letting the Word speak. Let the Word speak to every human heart so that you and I will know completely and in full everything that it speaks to us about every element of our lives. That is how you and I continue the Reformation activity of a day like this. Whether we're talking about the Reformation of the, the church or church bodies within the Holy Christian Church, or we're talking about the individual Reformation of a single human soul and life, it's all the same thing. It's the Word speaking us righteous, speaking us accepted in God's sight, ready to live with Him forever at any moment in our lives where He might choose to end our time here or to come back in glory, that we can look 
at our redemption with joy. But not only in that moment, in every moment till that moment, joyfully accepting God's will for our lives, holding to everything that Jesus has taught us, and knowing for sure what that is by our time spent in meditation and prayer, by our time spent studying the Word with fellow believers, and watching the process that the Spirit refers to as iron sharpening iron. Spending time in worship with our fellow believers, confessing, praying, singing, receiving the body and blood for our forgiveness, growing every day in our understanding of everything that Jesus has taught us so that we know what we are to hold to and we know that we are actually holding to it not because we're capable on our own, but because the Holy Spirit works through this word to fulfill the promise of Jesus. He's the one that tightens our grasp on that word as we grow in it day by day to be certain. Certain of the promises that Jesus makes to us and the application of those promises. The truth that sets us free never tells us that somehow, some way, someday, we will have the ability to make ourselves perfect, to grow ourselves into super-Christians that are better than the other Christians that walk the face of the earth. No, on any given day, our failures and our realities show us once again that we need this word in our lives to speak to us with all of its power and authority in both convicting us of our sins, our many and varied daily sins and assuring us of the payment of Jesus Christ being all that is necessary for those sins to be gone so that we might be freed, freed from our own consciences. It's a natural thing. It's a natural thing for us to hear the response of these believing Jews and add our own voices to the idea that the most important thing in the moment is our physical freedom or intellectual freedom. But Jesus wants us focused on our spiritual freedom, our freedom from sin and our freedom from guilt, for that is where he makes sure we understand true freedom lies. Not in anything we can grab or do for ourselves, any rights we can exercise that have been given to us by some group of human beings earlier in the history of our country but rather the freedom that is bestowed by God alone through words like this that don't just quiet or supplement our consciences, but silence them to ever speak against what Jesus has said. Forgiving truth, freeing truth, that when you hold to it, it sets you free completely from everything, including your own conscience and your guilt, and frees you forever. Amen. Please stand. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We speak together the words of the Nicene Creed as you find it on page 7 in the worship folder. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.